What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? All right, fantastic. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and we're in week three of a four-week series entitled You Are the Change. If this is your first time here with us, we're getting a little political in the fact um, that we are not waiting for a person to get voted in or a person to stay in the office to make change, that we believe that the best change this country has is not about Republican or Democrat or donkeys or elephants. It's the church being the church. And I'm so glad you're here because if you've never been to church before, if you kind of don't know anything about the whole Jesus thing or the Bible thing, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I really go with that, I'm so glad you're here today because you're going to see what Christians are supposed to be about. You're going to see what we're supposed to be doing so that you can figure out where we're not doing it. You can go, huh? Yeah, I see. So anyway, wanted to let you know before we start digging in too deep into the text, I want to give you an announcement. The month of September is the month where we hear from you guys about elder nominations. And let me kind of tell you what I mean by that. We're a staff-led elder-protected church. And basically what that means is uh, all of us, uh, we have authority over us, including myself. And um, uh, we have some elders here at our church that are godly men. And, but every year we want to be able to open it up to you guys that if you, have, um, if you know of a man who is godly, who's uh, a part of one church that you believe should be serving in that capacity... Uh, we ask that you would go back to, your, uh, to the iPad kiosk or on your onechurch.tv website, and you can just go on there and you can select, you can read the qualifications, and then you can be able to put that in there. So, because today we're talking about leadership. Now, quick question. How many of y'all think that you're a leader? Let me see your hands. And not too many of you, all right? That's cool. Um, in first service, uh, I asked that question, and like one person, you know, like raised their hand. Let me kind of let you know, especially if you have to leave early and, you know, you've got to bounce out, I want to kind of let you know where I'm going to try to land today. Where I'm going to land today is I want to convince each and every one of you that you are a leader. You are a leader. I remember uh, growing up here in Clarksville, my, my dad, when I would miss the bus conveniently, you know, like when I didn't want to ride the bus and I kind of missed it, uh, my dad would take me to school. And I remember I always liked when my dad took me to school because he would always kind of lecture me. Anybody ever got lectured by your parents? Uh, I did. Uh, and, and, and some of these I actually liked. It wasn't because I actually did anything wrong. It's because my dad was kind of downloading into me some wisdom. And some things that, that my dad told me um, was this. One of the things was this, is that all of us were either going to be leaders or we're going to be followers. In fact, we talked about that principle when we were looking at Moses and Joshua at the beginning of this year, is what makes a good leader is somebody who's a good follower. Very, very huge. But all of us, we have this tendency to say, you know what, I'm not a leader because I'm not a mayor, or I'm not a president, or you know, I'm not the head of a company, or whatever. Um, but I want to convince each and every one of you, ladies and gentlemen in here, that all of us are leading something. We're leading something. Now, quick question. If you're a lady in here who has preschoolers, let me see your hands. All right, some of you, you're not doing your hands because you're asleep. Because the kids were up last night. I understand that, all right? Let me tell you, you are a leader. You are discipling those children. For some of you, um, you are, you're in a marriage, but you don't have any children. You so long to have children, but you are leading in other ways. You may be leading because you started a new business, or maybe uh, you're the head of a sorority or a fraternity. Maybe you own your own company. 
maybe you're leading your grandchildren. Some of you, um, you, just be, you may just be leading yourself right now, but it, it's how you're leading yourself that's going to set you up to be able to lead others. But all of us are leading in some way. We're not just following, we're leading. And the thing that I want to talk about and unpackage today is what is leadership and unpack this. Because this whole idea of you are the change, change takes place not on the first Tuesday in November. You see, you can change your circumstances, you can change your culture this week, the third week of September, if you would stand up and start becoming the leader that God wants you to become. And you say, well, I'm not like that. You know, I'm kind of introverted. I'm not a people person like you, Chris. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about personality. I'm talking about standing up for what you believe in. Today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. Uh, if you have one of the Bibles we give away, you open up in the middle, you're going to see P-Psalms. All right, and you want to go to the right, and you're going to see Daniel in there. Let me give you just a quick overview of what's happened up to this point. The guy in charge, the guy in charge when we read the book of Daniel isn't Daniel. It's a guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. All right, we're not playing this this week. <laughs> Y'all are a hoot. Uh, King Neb, he is the one who thinks that he is all that. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he has literally conquered the entire world up to this point. And he is the king of the Babylonians. He comes to Jerusalem in 605 B.C., and he picks the best and the brightest, and he takes them away. And four of the Hebrew boys he takes away, probably in the 13, 14-year-old, is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are essentially made Babylonians, new haircuts, new names, new everything. But these guys flourish in Babylon and start doing some amazing things because they didn't compromise. And Nebuchadnezzar notices them, and he promotes them, and he promotes them, and he promotes them. And that's what we're going to see. In Daniel chapter 4, it starts with King Nebuchadnezzar, who has it all. He is the guy in charge. He is the bomb. Dot com forward slash bomb. He is it. All right? He thinks he's that. He gets a dream. And in this dream, this is what it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. This dream rocks his world. This is what it says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, this little chapter in Daniel is written by Nebuchadnezzar. That's so cool. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. That is an understatement. I had a dream that made me afraid. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of this giant tree. In this giant tree, you have all the birds of the earth come and nest in its branches, and you have all of these animals come underneath its shade and get their sustenance and shade and protection from this tree. But in the midst of this dream comes a loud voice that says, cut down the tree. And in the tree, the, in the dream, the tree begins to start getting cut down. And once the tree is cut down in his dream, Another voice says, now put a chain around its stump. So it does that. And for seven years, this chain, this tree will be cut down, and he, the animals scatter, the birds scatter, all of this stuff, and he wakes up and gasps, and he realizes that I think this is about me. 
And look at what it says in verse 17. The decision, this is the end of the dream. He's still dreaming this. This is kind of the, the person who's talking in the dream. Anybody else have narrators in your dreams? Yeah, me neither. Um, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that, here's the point. Here's the part that's applicable to all of us. So that the living may know. How many of y'all are living? That's all of us. So that the living may know that the most high is sovereign. Let's all say those four words together. Most high is sovereign. Let's say it again. Most high is sovereign. Now, the reason why I'm asking you to repeat that is you're going to see that little phrase uh, uh, just tons of times in the next 20 minutes. Tons of times it's going to show up. The most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is quite the proclamation to somebody like King Nebuchadnezzar who thinks he's all that, who thinks he is the most high. He thought he's thinking he's a god. He thinks he is the most high, that he is the man. And King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up in this dream, and he's scared to death. So he asks all of his wise men, all of the magi, all of the magicians, astrologers, who's supposed to be able to interpret dreams, hey, what does this dream mean? And everybody goes, I don't know. I don't know. It's that time that Daniel gets word that the king has had another dream, and Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, you know what? I can't do it. My God can interpret it. And he starts hearing the dream, and this is what Daniel says. Daniel says, oh my, King Nebuchadnezzar, oh my. I wish this was a dream that one of your enemies had had. Because if this dream is of divine origin, I can tell you this is a bad dream. You're getting ready to have a bad day. It's not going to look too good for you, O king, if in fact this dream is of God. Look at this, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree, the, what does it say? Most high has issued against my lord, my king. Hard for us to grasp This is the, the words the most high. Because again, Nebuchadnezzar equates the most high with himself. Now let's again look, get a little bit of backstory. Daniel is doing this, he's interpreting this dream, and he is not in Jerusalem, he is in Babylon. In fact, up to this point, the pretty much the God of the Bible, the Yahweh, he's been pretty much put out of business. Nebuchadnezzar came in, he destroyed the temple, all sacrifices has ceased going to Yahweh, and Nebuchadnezzar thinks, you know what, the God of, uh, your God, the God of the Bible, is out of business. And God is showing up in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and saying, I'm not out of business. I am still in control. In fact, you think you're in control? I am the one who's actually calling the shots. You think you're the one who actually came in and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem? That you were all of that? That you were that good? God's saying you weren't that good. I am in control. The reason why you are in power, King Nab, God is saying, is because I have let you be in power. Because I am the Most High, I am sovereign, and I give kingdoms to whoever I wish. Look at this, verse 25. He says what's going to happen. Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, he's interpreting the dream, and he says, you will be driven away from the people, you will live with the wild animals, you will eat grass like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by. A lot of people believe that's seven years. Seven years will pass 
for you until you acknowledge, what are those next words again? The most high is what? Sovereign. Let's talk about it. That's kind of a churchy word. That literally just means God is in control. Sovereign means he is calling the shots. He is in control until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign and in control over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Again, that's a huge theme. Your kingdom will be restored to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, when you realize that heaven, not you, but heaven rules. This was a huge blow to Nebuchadnezzar's ego. I mean, you think about this, having to be Daniel and interpreting this dream. I mean, you're talking to the guy who could kill you, who could put you in a blazing, fiery furnace. We looked at last week, King Neb had some anger problems anyway, right? So Daniel is like, yeah, I don't know, you know. But Daniel, he just, he says what God has told him to say, and he lets him sort it out. He says, you know what? He says, you think you're all that? You think you're the man? Let me tell you, you're not as much in control as you think you are, King Nebuchadnezzar. You think you marched into Israel and destroyed the nation of Israel. Let me tell you, I want you to know that you only got to do that because God allowed you to. Because God is the most high, not you. So Daniel has this conversation with Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel goes on to say this, you know what, king? It doesn't have to be this way. My God that I serve is gracious And he is very gracious, and if you would just repent, if you would just change your mind, if you would stop being so prideful and so arrogant, if if you would just just acknowledge that he is the Most High and not you, then you would realize God may not, he may not go through with this. If you would just bend your knee, if you would just acknowledge that you don't have it all together, but God does, this dream might not become a reality. And Nebuchadnezzar hears the interpretation. He starts laughing. He says, you know what? Now that you've interpreted I mean, I'm not even that worried anymore. I'm going to be eating grass? I'm going to be howling at the moon? Right? That, that doesn't even bother me that much anymore. Look at what it says in verse 29. Twelve months later. Twelve months. This dream is a distant memory. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, King King Neb says this, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my might and power for the glory of my majesty? This dude has an eye problem. This guy, some of you ladies, you're going, he's just a typical guy. Maybe. All right, all guys have egos, right? But this guy had a huge ego, right? I mean, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. I am amazing. I mean, he probably puffed up his chest. Right? He's going, look, look at You see that? I mean, he thinks he is it. Look what it says in verse 31. The words were still on his lips. The wor- as the words were still on his lips... A voice came from heaven and said this. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been, what's that next word? Taken. Taken from you. Neb says, time out. Oh, time out. You can't take my authority because I earned it. 
I did this myself, and God is saying, no, 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 Neb, that is the point of this entire conversation. You think you've done it yourself. I want you to recognize once and for all that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth, including yours, that he can give it to whoever he choose, and he can take it away that quickly. This is the moment King Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with one of the most powerful leadership principles, and it's our big idea today, and it's simply this. That leadership, whether it's in a family, company, a church, a department, a team, a a unit, a division, um, whether you're owner of a company, whether you're a worker in the leadership of any type is stewardship, which means that it's temporary, which means that you're accountable. Leadership is stewardship. It is temporary. We are always accountable. Leadership is stewardship. It's temporary, and you and I are always accountable. Men and women who are given responsibility for other people, they have that opportunity and responsibility not because they're all of that and their stuff don't stink. They got that because God allowed them to have that leadership, which means... It's stewardship. By its definition, they are accountable because God gave it to them. It's temporary because God can take it away. God says to Nebuchadnezzar, I am going to take this away from you, your leadership, to make the point that it's not yours to begin with. I can take it and I can give it because I am the most high and you are not. The story continues in verse 32. Look at it. You will be driven away from the people and you will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by before you, until you acknowledge that the... That's it. That's the point. That God is sovereign. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives to them who anyone he wishes. And the Bible says, immediately Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. Nebuchadnezzar went right? I mean, immediately. In fact, what happens, I mean, all of his advisors around him, and he starts howling like the moon. I mean, they were playing hell to the chief, and now they're playing wild thing when he comes in, right? I mean, it's crazy. And, and everybody's going, they're trying to keep it under the wraps, all of his advisors. Hey, where's King Nebuchadnezzar today? He's not feeling too good. That's an understatement, right? I mean, he's, and, and next week, where's King Neb? Well, he's kind of howling at the moon, After a while, I mean, the secret gets out because for seven, we think seven years, he's out there and he's just went nuts. Now, what's so amazing is we're getting ready to keep on reading in Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar's writing this, which means Nebuchadnezzar, there came a time where he acknowledges that he was not the most high and that he wasn't sovereign. In fact, look what it says in verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Quick question. When was this sanity restored? Exactly right. He looked to God, and then that's when he stopped being crazy. And some of you, you know people, it may even be you in your life, you've kind of went off the deep end, and when you start getting Sane is when you start acknowledging that there is a God and you're not him. And I'm not him. And she's not him. 
but it's God. He is the Most High. I'm going to keep on reading. Then I praise the Most High. There's those two words again. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Not mine, but his kingdom. All the peoples of the earth, not just the Hebrew people, not just the Babylonian people, but all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Look at this, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And all of his like personal attendants said, amen, you're right, you betcha, because just 30 seconds ago, you were howling at the moon. What has happened to you? Let me tell you, if God can do that to King Nebuchadnezzar, what do you think the rest of us who has just a little bit of pride, a little bit of edge, a little bit of ego, we all should walk humbly with our God? That's remarkable. I think it's going to be really cool when we get up to heaven, we're going to see Daniel, we're going to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to see Jesus, we're going to see Thomas and Peter and Moses, and if you've not grown up in church, you don't probably know a lot of these names, but don't you know there's going to be another guy in heaven? His name's going to be Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to be king anymore. He's going to be worshiping a king. It ain't going to be himself, though, because he's not the most high. I think that's cool. This guy starts believing in God. The God that he's put out of business. That rocks. Now, th- that would be great. We could close up our Bible and say, look, we're getting done early. Not quite. Here's the thing. That's not where the story ends. That's not where the story ends because eventually King Nebuchadnezzar dies. Why? Because all leaders will be replaced. Did you know that? All leaders will be replaced. You don't like the leader you're following? Just wait. She'll be replaced. He'll be replaced. If you don't like me, eventually I will die. There's going to be one day where Chris is not going to be the pastor of one church. I'm going to be hit by a semi like a big greasy spot. And y'all are going to go, man, I knew Chris. You're going to come to my funeral and then you go home eating potato salad. That's just how it works. All of us, none of us are indispensable. None of us. All of us will be replaced, and that's exactly what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar... He gets replaced. His son comes into power. He gets replaced. And then King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar is his name. Kind of a weird, funny name. He got picked on a lot when he was in middle school. Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. Turn there if you would. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that, give you a little bit of context. Belshazzar is now, he's just as cocky and arrogant as his grandfather was, King Nebuchadnezzar. But at this point, Babylon, it, it, it wasn't all that anymore. It it had some competition in the world. The Medes and the Persians were kind of coming, and that was that second kingdom we looked at last week. The Medes and the Persians were coming, and Belshazzar has an ego problem as size of Texas, but he is not going anywhere, and even though Babylon, its influence is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, he still thinks he's all that. Well, get this, October the 12th, 538 B.C., the Medes and the Persians under Cyrus the Great come and surround the city of Babylon, besieged it. And basically what they're doing is they're going to surround the city and say, you're not going to come in, we're not going to let you come out, we're going to stay here until we beat you. 
And all the people inside of Babylon are so cocky and are like, you know, whatever. We've got enough food in here to last you out while you're hanging out in tents outside. In fact, get this. this is inter- How many of y'all have been to Babylon? And, and let me see. All right, cool. This is what's so cool there. Babylon, there was a huge wall around Babylon, but this, the, the river Euphrates actually ran right underneath the, uh, the wall there. So the wall was built down, and then the water of, of, of the river was up above the wall, and you couldn't get it. So the river went right through, the, through, the, through underneath the uh, wall, and they had plenty of water. So they're like, you know, you just hang out there in your tents. We got enough food, enough water, not that big of a deal. So they're so cocky when Cyrus the Great gets there on October the 12th, 538. Belshazzar says, you know what, let's just throw a big party. We're going to have a big party. We're going to have a big orgy. It's going to be crazy. And they start getting all these idols, all these idols that everybody's conquered. All right? And they go, and they start getting, because they worship Marduk, and the big whole Marduk idol. And let's go get all these other things that we've conquered, all of these other gods, all these other countries we've conquered. And they start bringing all this stuff out. And they, this is interesting, they go and they get all of the stuff they took from the temple before they destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Because they didn't worship idols. They had like silverware and they had like uh, uh, plates and stuff. So they brought all of that stuff into this party. October the 12th, 538 B.C. And they're just having a hoot of a time. All the while, Cyrus the Great, this is so interesting. Cyrus the Great is digging trenches and diverting the river. And slowly the water's going down. But nobody knows it yet. So Belshazzar is in there, he's drinking, he's having a good time, getting drunk, and then all of a sudden, this hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. How many of y'all have ever said, I see the handwriting on the wall? Something like that. Anybody? You were quoting scripture. You just didn't know it. You totally should read the Bible. It's so cool. Okay? So anyway, it's like, if y'all remember the Adams family, you know, the hand you know, thing. So they have this, this, this hand writing on the wall and is writing these words, and the king's so drunk, and it's a foreign language, he doesn't understand it. So he starts looking. Who, who can tell me what this means? I don't understand it. I don't read it. And he says this. Whoever can tell me what it means, I'll make you the third of the kingdom. I'm going give to you, give you all of this. And the queen of Belshazzar comes up to him and says, you know, I remember your, great, your grandfather had this dude by the name of Daniel who was really smart. Call him. Daniel, we don't know quite where he's at. He's probably in an old folks' home for like prophets and magi. They bring him in. He is old. He's probably 70s, maybe early 80s. So he comes in, and this is what Daniel does. All right, this is so interesting. Daniel looks up to the wall and he says, you know what? I don't think I want to be third in command of this kingdom. I, I, I don't want to be co-captain of the Titanic. He says, I'll tell you what it means, but you can keep your stuff. This is what it says, verse 17, Daniel chapter 5. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to somebody else. I don't want them. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And here is what Daniel says to the king. Listen to this. In light of what we just learned about King Nebuchadnezzar, and now we're sitting here talking to his grandson, Belshazzar. Verse 18. O king, the most high God. Everybody say most high God. 
Most High God gave your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. The Most High God gave. There is the stewardship issue again. Because of the high position he gave them, all of the peoples and nations of men of every language dreaded and feared him, which means your grandfather was a great leader. Your grandfather was feared among all the other nations. But look at verse 20. But when his heart, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and was given the mind of an animal, born to be wild, He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. There's probably people in this party who had never heard of this story. But we're going to find out here in a minute, Belshazzar had. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the, what does it say? Most high God is what? Sovereign. Bam! There it is. There it is. The Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he sets over them anyone he wishes. There's our lesson again, verse 22. But you, and I imagine Daniel being old, he pointed his long, bony finger at him. But you, Belshazzar, his grandson, you've not humbled yourself. Look at this next phrase. Though you knew all of this. Belshazzar, you've heard this story. You probably were sitting at your grandfather's knee and he was bouncing you as he was telling you this story. Maybe you heard the story as a boy from your own father. But because of his arrogance and his pride, the Most High God humbled him. You heard how the story, how he became a different person after his bout of insanity. You heard the story how he became a merciful king. You heard the story how he was literally changed. Even though you heard the story, you didn't do anything and you became arrogant yourself. Look at this verse verse 23. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. How do we do that, people? It's called pride. Pride. We set ourselves up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. In other words, you showed great disrespect to God. You praise the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds his hand, in, who holds his hand your life and your ways. Therefore, he sent his hand that wrote the inscription. In other words, Belshazzar, you were warned. Belshazzar, you should have known better. You should have remembered that there is a most high God and you're not him. This is what it says, verse 25. This is what the inscription was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is what the words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Today. It's going to happen tonight. October 12th, 538 B.C. By the way, this is the reason why Daniel didn't want to be third in command. (laughs) Yeah. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scale and you've been found wanting. In other words, Belshazzar, whether you recognize it or not, you are accountable to the Most High God. You never recognized him. You never bowed your knee to him. You never acknowledged him. But this entire time, you are accountable. Leadership, it's stewardship, it's temporary, and you and I are accountable. He has evaluated your reign you have been found wanting. Verse 28, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. In other words, it's temporary. Because just like I took it from your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar temporarily, I'm taking it from you permanently. 
This is amazing because at this very moment, October 12, 538 B.C., Cyrus the Great is diverting the river, and nobody knows it, but the river is going down and down and down until it gets below the bottom of the wall. And they just walk underneath the wall, the Medes and the Persians. Walk in this little marsh, walk underneath the wall. They open up the gates, and they walk on through without literally firing a shot. It falls like that. Leadership is temporary. 538, October 12th. The moral of the story, the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone that he wishes. Now, let's just camp out here for a sec. I got a couple of minutes. Let me say this. I do not know who's going to be elected president. I don't. You don't either. But can I tell you something? The Most High God is sovereign. The Most High God is in control, and he will put whoever he wants in charge. Some of you, you're big Democrats, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Some of you are big Republicans. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But I want all of us to realize that at the end of the day, on Wednesday after Election Day, that God is still in control. That God will put whoever he wants to in there, whoever he wants as the mayor, whoever he wants as the governor, as a congressman, as a senator, senator anything of that, that God is... What happened? Sinner? We're all sinners. Let's move on. All right. That wasn't any Freudian slip. I'm just saying. Anyway, what was I talking about? Y'all keep on getting me. I'm just... That God is in control. The Most High God is sovereign. He is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And whether if Obama has four more years or if Obama doesn't have four more years, God is in control. And I'm not saying you should vote whichever way. To be frank, quite frank, I could care less. But here's what I know. That our greatest potential for change is not any one candidate. It's not a new party or an old party or the Grand National Party. It is you. You. 